We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The things that are going to determine fantasy leagues over the next month. That's what we're going to talk about today. On Stealing Bananas, I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find Stealing Signals at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we have a bunch of things that we could talk about today. We were kind of talking about a lot of things prior to the show, as we reference a lot. We also spent a bunch of time talking about baseball. We're going to be talking about the Diamondbacks and the Mariners off seasons, all off season. Your Diamondbacks made it all the way to the World Series. My Mariners, after their postseason run last year, didn't even make it to the playoffs. But they were in it until the final week and still have you know really good young core. We're both very excited about. Yeah, Mariners finished like a, a game back of the two teams that are in the American League Championship Series. So right. they're right there. Yeah, it was... Actually, a little bit frustrating to see the Rangers go on and win the uh, the World Series because, we've, I mean, we, we got swept by them in about a week before the end of the season. If we win another game, I think maybe we had to win two more games there because they had the tiebreaker on us. Um, could have been in the playoffs and they could have been out, essentially. And we may have been on a path like they were on. But hats off to them for uh, you know winning their first ever World Series. We're still looking for our first ever World Series. The Diamondbacks have won one. But Sean, how are you? How are you doing? Let's talk football. Good, good. And one of the reasons we spent, you know, forty-five minutes going through that is that, I, you know, major league baseball teams are now in the part of their offseason where they're not signing people yet per se, but they're building the strategy. And if you did well and maybe you finished just short, you're trying to figure out how you're going to take the next step. If your team was bad, obviously the fans are very engaged in figuring out how you can get to be a lot, lot better. The baseball tactics are extremely interesting because you do have these individual positions, but you also have the flexibility that can be created when you're looking at the different platoon advantages, matchups, where people have defensive flexibility, how you're going to try and deploy your DHs, all of those types of things. But then also as you're thinking through, when do we want to make the moves? Do you want to make them now? Do you want to make them at the trade deadline? How soon are prospects going to arrive? How much can you count on that? And that kind of works back to the discussions that we've had a lot, especially in maybe dynasty. When we're trying to put together our dynasty teams and when listeners are thinking through how they want to make trades right now as most leagues are heading for the dynasty trade deadline. Do you want to add 2023 points? Do you want to add youth 
Do you want to add at a specific position or do you need just really the most scoring you can get to fill out those flex positions? But Ben, it's also something we talk a lot about when we are building our redraft teams at the beginning of the season. How do you come up with enough depth to manage the bye weeks? How do you come up with enough scoring to make sure that you're winning the flex? So much of what we talked about the last decade is about winning the race to fill the flex. Zero RB for so many of the years. And then we talked a lot about how the specific trends for this season might give some additional options. And it's been fun to watch as so many of the running backs who have outperformed draft position in 2023 have been the guys that we were targeting. Not to say that there are zero misses, not to say that everyone has hit or that everyone has stayed healthy. You watch that game with the Baltimore Ravens this last week, and it's hard not to imagine if J.K. Dobbins is getting a lot of those high-value touches. You put Keaton Mitchell and Gus Edwards' game together, which is something I think you could certainly imagine if Dobbins is healthy, then you're talking about some you know, 40, 50-point game. That would be exciting. Obviously, that's not going to happen in 2023. But as we think about fantasy football and as we think about reality football, and we won't rehash this entire conversation for the listeners, but the New York Jets' decision-making, even though it's been discussed at nauseum, still very relevant as it relates to what they are doing for their reality team and how their Zach Wilson decisions have taken what is possibly the best team in the NFL otherwise and put them in a very difficult position now to make the playoffs. All of the, these narratives about Aaron Rodgers and how soon he will be back. We had talked on our Sunday night, Monday morning show about how despite week nine had all of these buys that we were still going to like scratch out these close victories Monday night was a debacle for us, and we did not, in fact, do that in most cases. We're still kind of working through the aftermath of that. Those teams almost universally still well-positioned, but when you're looking at an FFPC main event, you want to get in that top two, so you're directly into the race. Don't necessarily want to be where we were last year, where you've got to win two games to get in. We did do that last year, and then the race portion didn't go as well as we wanted. But Ben, if we could get like five teams in, basically all of our main event teams into the race, the mix of players is very interesting there. We're obviously shooting for that. I've got you know a ton of enthusiasm for week 10, week 11. We talked so much about week nine and how that was the one. And if we could weather that, then we're in so good position. Otherwise, I, as we're looking through the lineups this week, it, it was a reminder that we are, have some Dolphins and that they've scored a lot and that they're on the bye. We are better set up to get through that. And so I'm not as worried, but the Dolphins not playing this week is something that matters. And then we're going to get A-Chan back. And so that will be exciting from that perspective. But we've got a lot of different things here that I think are interesting in terms of how they interlock, how they overlap. And maybe one place to start is that in week 10, there were some interesting or one specific interesting waiver addition who is providing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Provocative, controversial, interesting because we've kind of gotten to the point of the season where it's somewhat unlikely that there are going to be a lot of additional impact players. Ben, we've talked a lot about Keaton Mitchell on the show. I'm a huge fan. Didn't see really anything until week nine. Then he has the blow up, doesn't play a lot. We added him to a handful of teams where he still had money left. What are your thoughts here as we look at him and... Mitchell also sort of as a proxy for thinking through players with a wide range of outcomes, players who are interesting depth pieces, players who could be important as you're trying to structure your roster for the playoff push. Yeah, he's a really intriguing one. And I have been, I mean, sort of coming at it from a stealing signals perspective, looking at the usage, being pretty in the weeds with it. I was sort of issuing a warning this week about, some things that I'll get into, but I don't want those to be, I don't want that to be construed as an argument not to uh, be in on Mitchell, or I wasn't trying to, to make that argument. And I, I went into that in stealing signals and said, he's still very much worth an addition, you know, an ad in your leagues. And you have some very interesting thoughts on that. So I'll let you take that side of it. So, but before I give all this FUD on Keith Mitchell, I do want to be clear that, I am not arguing that he's not worth an ad or was not worth an ad, but it is interesting context of where he's at and what we're looking at. He has an incredible game, right? Only nine carries and goes for 138 yards, I think it was, in a TD. 40-yard carry and a 60-yard carry in the second half of this game. It was a kind of a, a blowout victory. He did get some work earlier when it was a closer game. It was a 7-0 game. He got four carries on a drive in the second quarter. And all of them went for eight yards or more. It was like eight yard, nine yard, nine yard, 11 yard, like just four in a row where he's just ripping off chunk gains. Um, So that was all very positive to see. But the big carries, the late work came in the third and fourth quarter. I had someone mention to me on my Signals Gold live stream that it kind of felt like they then took him out because they were were blowing, they rested him because they were were blowing out the, the Seahawks. My argument there was he played 14 snaps total. I don't really buy that necessarily. I think they kind of gave him the amount of work that they like. They wanted to give him a little bit of more work, but they, he has played two offensive snaps in his NFL career prior to those 14 snaps. He's been active for only two other games. He was hurt, as you mentioned. The Lions game was the other game where he played two offensive snaps. Those came uh, in another blowout. And then he played somebody those actually came reasonably early in that game as well. But somebody mentioned to me that he got hurt as well in that game, which is why he was inactive for the Arizona game in between uh, essentially the week prior to last in between the Lions game and this week's Seattle game. Um, It's worth noting that that Lions game, he still played essentially as what looks like his full complement of special team snaps. He played 48% of the team's overall special team snaps and he made a special teams tackle on a punt late in the third quarter after his offensive touches. So it's not like he left early. He was at least playing late in the third quarter in a special teams role. However, his hamstring did land him on the, on the injury report the next week and he misses the next game. But that 48% of the special team snaps 
He played 48% against Seattle this past week as well. He paid 55% the week prior to the Lions game, his first game back where he didn't play any offensive snaps. So his special teams role as a punt gunner and the other things that he does in special teams, is it seems like it's right around 50% of the snaps anyways, and that's where he was in that Detroit game. And so I don't think the fact that he only played two offensive snaps in that game is relative to the injury. So my point is, first game back, he doesn't play any offense. Second game, he plays two snaps. And then this past week, though he gets nine carries and a reception, 10 touches, he gets it on 14 snaps. And the idea that he then got some rest because he was going to be the guy going forward, I think is a very optimistic view of where he's actually at. Because I think the fantasy community sees that nine carries for 138 yards and a touchdown and thinks immediately that the NFL team is going to say, this guy has to get more work. And I heard a lot of, it's going to be Gus and Keaton Mitchell going for Justice Hill hasn't done anything. Go- you know, that was sort of the framing of, of how well he did and how this is the thunder and lightning and if you watch the game and you saw how explosive Keaton Mitchell looked, that makes sense. That's why, I mean, I, I get that. Justice Hill played 61% of the snaps in this game, Sean. So it, this is part of the context that I want to emphasize when I'm saying that Keaton Mitchell only played the 14 snaps. The Ravens have done this before as well with Tyson Williams, who looked really good early in the year that both J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards got hurt. And then they went to their veterans. They went to the guys that they kind of trusted a little bit more. They it, it was actually veterans they just brought in, but it ended up being Devonta Freeman, Latavius Murray, some of those guys that season, Kenyon Drake, uh, and Tyson Williams really quickly took a backseat because he wasn't, you know, doing some stuff on, I think on, on blitz pickups and, and other things that were the issues for him. That doesn't mean that same thing's going to happen to Keaton Mitchell. I'm just saying we do have a little bit of evidence that Harbaugh has a little bit of a bias towards the veterans, which some coaches do. Right. And then secondly, that, basically Gus Edwards and Justice Hill both been there a long time and he does seem to trust those guys and the fact that Hill played 60 plus percent of the snaps in this game and was the guy they used late in the game to salt it away to me some of what Keaton Mitchell did in this game can be positioned as essentially like an extended preseason game in that second half where they're ahead by multiple scores they're getting him some extra work because they want to see what they have in this guy he shows that explosiveness but then when the team or the media asked John Harbaugh about it after the game <clears throat> or I think on Monday morning, he's like, yeah, I mean, we, I mean we're still going to have a rotation. We're going to use all these guys, right? He pretty clearly says, it's not like he's like, yeah, we're going forward with Keith Mitchell as our starting running back. I mean, not that he would necessarily say that anyway, but he pretty clearly says, yeah, this is something that, you know, they're all going to have their roles. He kind of, it was almost, the, the way that he was asked was almost with excitement, this fantasy football perspective of like, hey, this guy's going to play a lot now, right? Like, look how good he was. And John Harbaugh was like, wait, hold up. Like, I mean, He's a, he's a young rookie, undersized guy, hasn't been healthy, hasn't been practicing all year. We've given him 16 offensive snaps. He's been playing on special teams and he's been, you know, doing his his role there. But we've given him 16 offensive snaps. He has a couple long runs in this game and looks great. But he's like still our third running back. Was sort of the way that I read that. Like I don't I don't I it's possible that he immediately displaces Justice Hill. More importantly, He's shown us that he can be efficient and I think is now very worth an ad in the in the mind. Even if everything I just said is true and he only plays like 10 snaps next week again, he's a handcuff now, right? And so there's this potential that he's a handcuff on a high-value offense where if Justice Hill were to miss time, then you still get that two-back system where Keith Mitchell maybe plays a lot. My fear is even in that scenario, Gus Edwards might play 80% of the snaps, right? Like, And the, the name I used to you as a comparison on Keith Mitchell and what might happen just to – 
this is the way that I've been visualizing it, is Marvin Mims, who we all really like in the fantasy community and made some explosive plays early in the year. But Sean Payton did not expand his role like he should have. I think Marvin Mims had an even greater case for it. They traded up to draft this guy in the second round. I Still makes no sense, but they didn't expand his role. So Marvin Mims had to continue to make explosive plays in a very small opportunity. to get. He's not playing enough snaps. He's not getting enough opportunities to really impact the game. Eventually, that started to thin out because it, sometimes he's only running like 15 routes in the whole game. He's not able to produce a 50-yard play every single week. And there hasn't been as much of a demand now to push his playing time. So it's one of those things where like, if you're not actually going to push him into the bigger role when he's making those plays early in the year, now he's got to somehow continue to do it or it looks like there's a reason why you didn't do it or something. And so anyway, we're now well beyond where Marvin Mims was doing all the explosive stuff early in the year. And he hasn't really done a lot in the last several weeks because he hasn't really played a lot. And I was saying to you, my fear with Keaton Mitchell is we get him in another 12 snap role this week, but he doesn't have two 40 plus yard runs in those 12 snaps because that's absurd, right? He's not going to be able to do that every single week. So he has 12 snaps. He gets maybe seven or eight touches. I do think he's going to have a high rate of touches per snap, which is sort of a Tony Pollard circa 2022 type thing, right? Or 2021 when they had Zeke. That's kind of the hope is like he can be the, the Pollard, this explosive player in a lower snap role, but getting a lot of touches per snap, right? They're not asking him to pass block. They're putting him out there to give him the ball and he makes explosive plays. That's the hope for him. But if he's only going to get like 10 snaps or something like that, and he's not able to then continue to make a bunch of explosive plays, it starts to fade off a little bit is the, is the fear. And Jaleel McLaughlin's a name you mentioned to me. Another one just like that was making explosive plays, but the role wasn't consistently there enough. The explosive plays go away a little bit. And then in the last couple of weeks, it's been a lot of Javonta Williams and, and then Samaje Pirine's gotten involved again more as well. And, and McLaughlin is now... I mean, still like a handcuff, similar deal, and and you you know that he's probably pretty good, and he's not somebody that you want to cut off your rosters or anything, but at the same time, the team isn't allowing him to do much more. They don't trust him necessarily. He's undersized. He's a UDFA, and those I think a lot of those things are concerns with Keith Mitchell as well. However, as you were saying to me, we, we still probably want to be breaking the, breaking the bank to try to get him. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We are approaching the end of 2023. The holiday season is almost here. I, for one, am very excited about the holiday season, but it can also come with some challenges, some seasonal blues. This time of year can be a lot, and it can be natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it, but adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot among the stress and change, something to look forward to to make you feel grounded and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. Personally, I started therapy in early 2023. I found it very beneficial. It's helped me learn positive coping skills to manage my day-to-day -day emotions, to understand why I feel the way I do. And it has been extremely positive for me. I found it beneficial working along with my therapist. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill in a brief questionnaire to get matched to a licensed therapist and you can switch therapist anytime at no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash rotoviz today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash rotoviz. 
One of my absolute favorite things in the entire world is attending live events. The atmosphere, the sound, all the little intricate details you can see when you're there live in person, it is just an amazing time. One of the biggest downsides though of it can be the stress in trying to find tickets before the event to make sure you get the best seats and that is where game time comes in. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy and theater theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have game time is the place to get those last minute ticket deals and it's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason exclusive flash deals on all the events coming up and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds two taps and you're set and you can snag tickets today without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and you Use the code RODOVIS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code RODOVIS for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, you mentioned there, McLaughlin, the other name that I think is really interesting in this discussion, in part because that name has another teammate who has sort of played the Gus Edwards role very explosively, but that would be Devon Achan and Raheem Mostert. Now, I think that the, I mean, there are a variety of differences there. The biggest two being the fact that the Dolphins, despite a limited number of picks, they made the statement very early on with their draft that they thought that Achan was going to be the guy who you know arguably changed everything for them you get a little bit of a similar situation there in terms of just kind of where these guys are where i mean in our teams where we have hn and redraft we missed that first game where he you know has the 40 plus points because his role the previous week is minimal and so you don't know what to expect and then even after that you have this question of i mean what's the usage going to be He's going to be in a committee. You can't have a 70-yard run every week. And then he goes out there and he's like more or less doing that. And you know that still is not sustainable, and yet it has to lead to a bigger role until you get hurt, and that's the frustrating situation we're in right there. I think that a lot of people are going to really push back against the idea that there are similarities there. But for me, the most surprising thing on Keaton Mitchell is not that he had a game like this. It's probably unlikely he would have it in his first real chance, but that he wasn't someone the NFL was more interested in. It's absolutely mind-boggling to me that the Ravens are able to pick him up as an undrafted free agent because he was really good last year at college. You're talking about a guy who went over 1,700 yards from scrimmage in just 12 games. I mean, you're talking about huge production. And we talk about players who maybe have some warts. And the warts for Mitchell would be that he's small, right? But when you have that size, but you are a proven workhorse, it's very different than just being someone who is fast. We see these guys come into the NFL and get some chances and play some special teams who are in this 180 range and have sub 4-4 speed. But if you're not actually ever someone who's had football production, you wouldn't expect that to suddenly manifest at the NFL level. 
But that's not the case with Mitchell. Not only did he put up those huge numbers of yards, but he was arguably more impressive than a player like HN in college. Now, the strength of schedule, the quality of defenses you're playing against is very, very different. And so you have to throw that in and be very aware of that, you know, just starting out. But we're talking about evasion rate. And so broken tackles and forced missed tackles, you can overstate that and you don't want to go out and grab a bunch of guys with high evasion rates who are not athletic enough to translate that into yards at the NFL level. But when I'm looking at Mitchell and I'm seeing a collegiate evasion rate that is one of the very best and is like 60 to 70% higher than a chance. Again, it's going to be easier to break tackles against lesser players than against SEC defenses. But you've got multiple things pointing to Mitchell as being a very reasonable NFL player. Now, being a reasonable NFL player is different than being a star, different than being someone who you can deploy in fantasy on a handful of touches, right? But I think that the first case that has to be made is simply that Mitchell going out and playing in an NFL game is not a fluke. He's someone who should definitely be out there as a running back who's at least in a committee for some team. And it happens to be a team in this case, in the Baltimore Ravens, that's now probably one of the scariest teams from a sort of a holistic perspective that we have right now in the NFL. And so when you're looking at the Ravens as a team that is now completely shutting down opponents, and I mean, they just completely and totally embarrassed the Seattle Seahawks here. You're going to be in a situation that the running back pie can start to get fairly large. Our concern over the first month, something that I mentioned to you on Stealing Bananas on multiple occasions, was just how bad this version of the Ravens offense looked in that they were not getting the vertical passes and that the formations that they were trying to play out of did not appear to be nearly as viable for sort of the downhill running that we've always kind of associated with the Ravens in general and certainly the Lamar Jackson version of the team where when defenses have to account for him, then it's hard to also account for the running back, which is one of the reasons why J.K. Dobbins has had such gaudy numbers even playing at less than full health in those stretches where he's played. Well, all that has changed. All of these, I mean, the 15 zero-yard targets to Zay Flowers, I mean, that's been phased out of the offense. And if you have Zay Flowers, that's been frustrating. I mean, his workload is no longer in the place that you need to start him in fantasy. And yet, the way this team has evolved is now, I think, very good for the backs. And the biggest contrast for me between this Ravens squad and the Denver Broncos squad is that the Ravens have players who can play. I think Gus Edwards and Justice Hill are, again, like viable NFL backups, if nothing else. But they don't have a guy like a Javante Williams to where when that player is healthy, he might be a top 10 back in the NFL. And I think it's going to be tough for someone like a Keaton Mitchell or a Jaleel McLaughlin to really get a viable fantasy workload behind a top 10 back. Gus Edwards has been extremely impressive recently in terms of yards after contact that obviously is going to matter for what the ravens are wanting to do he's been very impressive in turning his touches into touchdowns from a fantasy perspective that's absolutely huge but edwards and hill are just guys and if this ravens team which certainly now when you watch like just how underwhelming both the chiefs and the dolphins were in germany you can chalk that up to germany we certainly did that a lot on our first show this week you can chalk that up to their defenses being a little better than people realize which maybe that makes them better teams overall but when you look at those two teams and just how lousy they have looked not just on sunday but really over the last month you think about where the buffalo bills are currently 
you think about the fact that the Bengals are still going to have to drag themselves out of this terrible start for so much of the year. The Ravens are potentially looking like the Super Bowl favorites. And if you add a player like a Keaton Mitchell to that, he could be the final piece of the mix here to make him a star. So the guy that we, as soon as we saw that HN was going to be able to do it more than on a couple of plays, when it started to become a consistent element of what he was bringing to the table, then you're thinking, okay, this guy is Chris Johnson. He's Chris Johnson 2.0. We're still a, a ways from being able to say that with Keaton Mitchell, but Ben, this is a guy who was East a Carolina. Star. This is a guy who was an absolute star in college and runs a 4-3-7-40, which means you're going to be able to run away from players just like you did on Sunday and also has a 90 percentile explosion score. This guy is small, but he is ultra-athletic, ultra-athletic. And so I, I think that you have to assume as a fantasy manager that he's going to go the Jalil McLaughlin route and that mostly he's not going to get enough touches to be someone you can actually start but when you're looking at it from either a trade perspective from a because a lot of listeners are not going to have been are not going to have either the fab money left or they're not going to have the waiver priority to have gotten him but now if he's you know the 10th 11th 12th or 17th 18th guy on somebody else's bench there are going to be ways for a lot of managers to go ahead and go get him and i think if you can swap somebody else on your roster who is mostly not going to play to get him you want to think about doing that and so Mitchell is somebody where the most likely scenario is that he doesn't do anything for you. But even though obviously free agency for this week has passed, the reason that we're having this conversation is the bigger picture of when these types of guys are there, I think you have to chase them in the moment in case you're wrong, in case the smaller percent path ends up hitting. Because if it does hit, the difference that it makes is immense. And there's a big element here that goes back to why we often advocate being willing to make the swings in fab early in the year, because as you were saying, it's like, if you have the money, but like the part, like Sean, on a lot of our teams, we just paid a ton to get Puka Nakua, like 900 of a thousand dollars in a couple of them. That hasn't actually prevented us from doing a lot of things. We've just made a lot of cheap ads where we've needed to, to, to move around kickers and defenses and add backup tight ends and these types of things. But I've been shocked at how many moves we've actually made on all of those. Yeah. Of Puka. I mean, we've made a lot of $1 moves that are, are pretty meaningful. And there's not a lot of the big priced ones that were like, yeah, we definitely wish we had more money relative to the money we spent on Puka. Like the, spending the money on Puka obviously felt very much like it was money well spent. It helped us get to a good spot through the first month, couple months um hopefully into the future hopefully it continues to produce i know a lot of people are down on him right now sean you mentioned chris johnson i do just really quickly have to say that uh keaton mitchell chris johnson both went to east carolina just pulled up their numbers alongside each other keaton mitchell in three years rushed for more yards than chris johnson did in four years by just about like 40 yards on 160 fewer carries chris johnson had more than double the receiving workload and a lot more touchdown production and those things but i mean he's better than him because he ran for more yards than him in, at the same university <laughs> without question without question it's just clear when you look at the numbers no so yeah it gets back to the fab question a little bit and so the point you were making there 
if you have the money now, what are like sort of what are you waiting for? Like this is the opportunity, the best opportunity probably that you're going to get. The only other things that I think need to be added to that discussion are in shallower leagues where you get desperate teams that are maybe willing to cut players that shouldn't be cut and some of those types of things that can happen where you maybe want a little bit of uh, money to spend. But players like Keith Mitchell don't come around at this stage of the year because the ones that do break out at this stage are often rostered. And Keith Mitchell, in a lot of cases, was already rostered ahead of this. People are speculating on these types of players. He's a unique one where obviously he was hurt for the first half of the season and, and we have he played two offensive snaps before this week and you get the breakout all at once. He has two long touchdown – or not both touchdowns, but two long runs, over 100 rushing yards in a very limited sample of 14 snaps where he quickly shows to everyone that he can play and is somebody worth trying to add to your team. And so you do get a bit of a bidding war and it is a thing of like, okay, you know, if I had the money, I should probably go spend it on him. But a lot of the other situations that are going to come at this stage, once you get into November are going to be things that either people already foresaw a little bit and had stashed or they're slower buildups. And maybe you don't need to spend as much money to add them. If you, if you see them coming, you don't get these big explosive, explosive situations late in the year as frequently you don't necessarily get the injuries opening things up. Another name this week that was popular was Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler has been rostered and then cut and then rostered and then cut. The Cam Akers injury made him interesting again. But like because he's been rostered and cut and the shine has worn off on him, you could get him for like 3% of your budget in some of these leagues. He went very cheap in some spots. I know I paid like 100 uh, out of 1,000, more like 10% in, in like one or two leagues where I needed a little bit of running back upside. But there were spots where I saw him go for like, like I think I think I saw him go uh, on a post for like fourteen dollars in a league. Uh, we got him, and in a place where we didn't have much money. When I say we, not you and I, Sean, but uh, another group that I'm um, co-managing with. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was an unopposed situation where we didn't have much money. We had a very small bid on him. The point being, even for a player like that, where an injury freed up this handcuff spot and what looks to be a pretty good offense, and I think Ty Chandler is somebody worth stashing there's been enough up and down with Ty Chandler all year that people are just done with it. And there's not really even necessarily going to be a bidding war on Ty Chandler. It's like, he's not the new hot thing, right? Keaton Mitchell is, you're not going to have a lot more new hot things in November and December. And so that's sort of the emphasis I wanted to make there. He's definitely um, a very interesting one. I think you broke down all the reasons that we got to be on him very well. Even if everything I said is true, in 90% of cases, those other 10% of cases where he has the potential to work into a real role on the Ravens, make him somebody that you want to have on your bench as a stash to see what happens, even if he's just a handcuff. I mean, it's not like us Edwards and Justice Hill are young or have been healthy their whole careers. Both of them older backs that have had some injury issues. Certainly somebody to be interested in. We've talked before about how sometimes the best stashes are the number three back on a good offense rather than the clear handcuff on a worse offense. And so that's another argument in, in, in his favor, where as you were stating, like this could be an offense that is so explosive, so interesting. JK Dobbins. I hadn't thought through that yet. Sean hadn't thought about Dobbins for a couple of weeks. You mentioned probably crushing in this offense. If he were healthy, fun little gut punch that you uh, tossed in there. <laughs> well, Ben, how about this one? You talk about guys who are no longer as trendy and might be available 
it, in really shallow and like really shallow leagues might just simply be available, but probably not. But someone who isn't going to be as expensive to go get right now as they would have been at different points, but a week from now could be like the guy who becomes not just a league winner, but a tournament winner, that kind of thing. Another one of these smaller backs as well. I'm going to talk for a moment about Taisha Spears, who hasn't gotten that true signature play that would generate the kind of discussion that we're having about some of these other small players. He has a, a weird receiving line in week nine where he again siphons a huge chunk of snaps from Derrick Henry. He runs 26 routes. He gets six targets, four receptions. He has two evaded tackles. One of the things that's kind of fun is going in there and seeing which players are creating either broken or forced missed tackles in the receiving game. 19 yards after the catch, but still finishes with only four yards. And so the actual production there is going to make it look like he either A, wasn't involved, or B, isn't doing things. And yet you think back to some of those plays in that Thursday night game where he has to beat like half of the team in order to get back to the line of scrimmage. And he does that, right? There's the potential for Spears to be a big breakout guy. It's interesting here. Henry, 10 routes, four targets, three receptions, 27 yards. I mean, he ends up, you know, with more points through the air. 10 of the 39 passes from Will Levis go to the backs. Definitely don't, you know, want anybody to get hurt. We had, I mean, the absolute home run would have been a Henry trade. It seemed like that was at least being discussed. But if anything should happen to Henry, especially now, and I mean, the Thursday night game showed both positives and negatives for Levis. I still think that there are some legitimate concerns there. Talked a little bit about those with Colum on Rotovis overtime. But Spears to me, and maybe it's just that my exposure is so high <laughs> that you're you're dreaming of how this is going to help you at some point in the season. But Spears, another one of these smaller guys who yet has the dynamism and has the track record of production that makes him interesting over the second half of the season. Yeah, I think he's a great stash. I mean, I think he's one of the best that you can find in um, you mentioned in some of the shower leagues, you might be able to just grab him at this stage. He's had a real role all season. I mean, his snap share alongside Derrick Henry's, I mean, they've added up, to well over 100% in certain games, which is one of those weird ways that I like to look at it sometimes. But essentially, I, you know, you could just dig into the formational usage. It means that they're both playing together on the field on some snaps. And the, and the Titans have definitely done that. And they've done it a lot in short yardage. It's one of their answers for short, short yardage stuff. Sean, I, I was telling you, I've been workshopping a take about Taysom Hill, about how for all the times that I've spent and maybe we've spent, but certainly I've spent uh, – kind of mocking him he's like a really legitimate asset in the modern nfl where we're seeing the defenses play the bend don't break defenses but they're also pre preventing teams from even reaching the red zone at as high of a rate now this year in 2023 and so once you get down there getting into the end zone and being able to turn these drives into touchdowns is so vital short yardage stuff is so vital the interesting formational stuff and packages is is really an important thing you have to get your points while you have the opportunities and the Saints are using Taysom Hill in those ways really effectively, and I think it's going to help them win the NFC South. I think it's a really important part of what they are as an offense in a way that it kind of pains me to admit about Taysom Hill because he's been sort of a punchline for a long time. Well, it's tough, too, if you've been like this big Derek Carr 
like stealth fan because you don't want to be like a an out there fan, right? Because <laughs> he, actually he, has, <laughs> he actually has weapons now to you know score some fantasy points. And yet in this game, you have I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have taste on hill throwing a touchdown, catching a touchdown, and logging two carries inside the 10. I mean And the week prior he ran for two. So he's the, in the last two weeks he has he has done all three. He's passed, caught, and run. You talk about gut punches. I mean, think about the mega gut punch of the Saints, I believe, related to emergency quarterback rules and whatnot, although perhaps that's not what it is. But have him listed as a QB, which based on the rules meant the FFPC had to change him to a QB. I mean, think about all the fantasy managers who drafted Taysom Hill before that happened and are staring at him having to outscore their quarterback to get into best ball lineups as opposed to outscore their tight end. Oh, I'm they're not happy about that. Uh, <laughs> you're not on Twitter, but there's still people that make references to the Taysom Hill quarterback tight end positional fiasco quite frequently. But, but the whole point of, of that sort of meandering note was that they've used Tajay Spears in short yardage a good amount, which I think is interesting. They haven't used him in the red zone as much. It's more been short yardage in the field of play, but they put both Tajay and Derrick Henry on the field. I think it's because when they get out in the red zone, they just line up kind of under center with Derrick Henry and pound it with like extra tight ends and a goal line formation. But out in the field of play, they're doing some shotgun two-back stuff. And I think, you know, they see some of the opportunity for Spears. As maybe this is an explosive play as well, and maybe they don't see it as a, as valuable inside the 10. I would hope that they would get to a place where they're using Spears in, in, the, in the red zone as well is kind of the point that I'm trying to make. But they have clearly seen him as an asset uh, to their offense schematically and, and in their short yardage stuff and in the ways that it, can help them like work alongside Derrick Henry, help them combat defenses that are going to gravitate towards what where Derrick Henry is going on a play, right? So you can you can fake one direction and go the other direction. We we're talking about this a little bit, I think, on the the Monday show about how you know Tyreek Hill's gravity is you know pulls defenses, and and the Dolphins really needed Jalen Waddle, and and his injury was unfortunate. So Spears has this role that does include touches and is, I think their answer for how heavily defenses are going to key on Derrick Henry. It hasn't been massive in part because it is a limited touch role and he's only scored the one touchdown, but you go through his game log. He scored at least six fantasy points. I know that doesn't seem like a ton, but at least six fantasy points in five straight games. He's done it a lot of different ways. He had his biggest game against the Colts where he had 34 rushing yards and a rushing TD. He also caught four for 35. You get a, you get 69 total yards, very nice number there. Four catches, a TD, you get up to 16.9. In other games, it's been through receptions. Last week, he had four catches. The week prior, three, seven in his two games since the bye. That's interesting. Uh, prior to the bye, three of his four games prior to the bye, he had at least three catches as well. You also have a game prior to the bye. Well, he only had one catch, but it went for 48 yards. And so he did it through yardage efficiency that week was the point I was going to make there. Only had four carries and one catch against the Ravens in that game where I'm pretty sure the Titans ran a very low number of overall plays was part of the issue there, but he gets to seven plus points in that game. I'm not saying that it's very viable when you look at his game log that he's scoring 6.6 and 6.2 points in the two games since his bye, that you want that in your lineup. 
But what I'm saying is there is that consistent role. There's intent there. There's interesting elements to that where, like you said, if Derrick Henry were to go down, it's just clear that the the Titans do really like Spears. They want to use him even when Derrick Henry's on the field right now. And I do think if you're in a huge bind with buys and stuff, he's a guy you can put into your lineup and hope for a little bit of explosion, a little bit of efficiency, maybe a touchdown that given week, and for him to get you 15 points or get you at least 10 or 12, right? Um, and certainly at least get you six or eight, which he's done five straight games. So um, somebody whose role and usage has been very interesting, and I'm right there with you, I think is very clearly, you know, to, to steal from 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 my column a signal and, and have been calling it a signal all year that they like Spears. Spears has his own role in the offense, even apart from being the handcuff. And we talk, and we've talked for years, Sean, about these guys that have the handcuff plus standalone value. Those are some of the best running backs to have on your bench, especially when they're getting used in the passing game a little bit. And if they were to consolidate the backfield, you're like, okay, well, they're going to consolidate and have some high-value touches. They're going to catch passes. You know, this is a guy that if Henry goes down, his workload, not his production necessarily, but his workload, probably more valuable than Henry's was when Spears was in the offense with Henry. It's a classic example of that case where Henry's not catching enough passes in part because Spears is there. If Henry goes down, Spears is going to continue to have those receptions plus a lot, you know, so much work in the running game as well, you would think that his overall value of his role, expected points, those types of things, could be even higher than Henry's. And we tend to think about the QB in relation to what they're going to do for the receivers and what they're going to do for sort of overall scoring and just what they're going to mean in and of themselves, especially in Superflex. But if that Titans offense takes off, there will be downstream effects that really help both of the running backs. Also, Tyshae Spears is a future low-end running back one I don't know what season that's going to be, but if you can add him in dynasty in situations where maybe you're making some moves either to rebuild or even if you're a competitor, but you have a player, then we have Mike Evans right now on a pretty loaded dynasty team that because of some injuries and some bad luck with actual results, we're kind of in the middle of the pack. We're not going to be in that situation. Where we're necessarily going to get a buy. We probably will make the playoffs just because of the overall depth of our roster. But Evans is someone where we've had some very interesting trade offers for him. And you wouldn't necessarily want to move someone who would help you win this year's title. And yet if you're in the situation we're in where not every week does he necessarily even he would always qualify for our starting lineup, but he wouldn't be someone where if you don't start him, you're going to definitively lose a lot of points by going to one of your bench players. So if you can move him to a team that has a hole and maybe get back another receiver who is more of a project plus someone like a Spears. Now, obviously, in every league, that's not going to be exactly what you can do. And you don't have to think of Mike Evans as being like the only guy where you would think about it, but that's kind of the mindset or the situation in which you might make one of those trades. Another name that I kind of mentioned to you, the air yards leaderboard every week, Ben, is interesting because you have the guys who blow up and then you have the guys who completely miss. And then there's all the discussion about, well, what do those empty air yards mean for a player who, you know, might hit down the line as a result certainly it's going to be more valuable if you're getting air yards for two three weeks in a row as opposed to have one fluky game we kind of referenced Jalen Rager and the really poor play that he made on the ball last week and how I mean it's probably not ever going to be something for him but another young guy who I still think actually certainly in best ball 
where you don't actually have to make the decision to throw him into your lineup. But I still think if you have some injuries or you have a lot of these situations, Ben, our benches are loaded right now with a bunch of highly contingent guys where we even had to cut Marvin Mims on some teams that we have, you know, plenty of Traylon Burks and you have Quentin Johnston and you have Rasheed Rice, you have Wondell Robinson. You don't necessarily know which guys yet. And you may never know. That's a little bit of the risk you run into. Maybe those guys hit in 2024, in which case they won't, won't have done a ton for your 2023 redraft teams. But Jalen Hyatt, somebody who was on waivers in some leagues this past week, Maybe you put in, you know, one or two dollar bid for him in some cases. He is on some of our actual rosters also. He had a game this week where he is among the league leaders in air yards. And when you actually watch him, I mean, it, these were notable plays to me. And probably because I'm such a huge Jalen Hyatt fan. But the first one is the deep target from Daniel Jones where Hyatt is behind the well he beats his guy and then you have the safety coming over the top and jones drops the ball in you know 40 50 yards down the field right as the safety is getting there and in order to shield himself from the safety coming over hyatt makes kind of a weird and unfortunate play on the ball where he jumps up and spins and that takes him out of bounds and you know daniel jones receives some criticism for not throwing it onto the field of play where he can make the play. But I think that Hyatt has to understand also where the sideline is. We talked a lot about, you know, George Pickens and how he doesn't make the play in that Thursday night game. You'd like to see Hyatt make a better play on the ball on that one, but certainly you see the athleticism. A few possessions later, he is wide open, well behind the defense and perhaps, you know, try to avoid what happened the previous time. Daniel Jones overthrows him on that one. Jones leaves the game with the ACL tear. You get Tommy DeVito in there. Jalen Hyatt gets open down the middle of the field, basically beating double coverage and is there for a long touchdown. DeVito underthrows it by, but it's actually a very nice looking pass. I thought that you know, this week when he throws the 20 passes, completes 15 of them, averages almost nine yards per attempt. He does take six sacks. He throws a couple of picks. I mean, far from a clean performance from him, but there were some flashes. Unfortunately on that one, he probably underthrows it by a good seven yards because it's picked by the players underneath Hyatt. Hyatt is open behind them in the end zone. If he's led, there is a window there because again, he's got so much speed that he's basically beating double coverage. Those three long passes and then he gets a couple of completed catches late. You have Wandale getting the touchdown late. Darius Slayton does still lead the team with seven targets in this one, but you're not getting much to Paris Campbell. You're not getting much to Isaiah Hodgins. It does look like even though this Giants offense overall is an absolute, well, I'm not going to say the the first three or four words that sort of initially come to mind. The Giants offense has some issues. I do like the fact that we are starting to see these players that they spent picks on in the last couple of years who had such interesting notes in their prospect profiles and are extremely athletic that those guys are starting to come to the fore. I like that too. Um, it's good to see their their route percentage still limited. If you look at just like the, the participation and stuff, Darius Slayton is the clear lead, and there's a little bit of a rotation behind that. Last week, Hyatt at 63% of dropbacks, Wandale at 51%. The, the week prior, Wandale had gotten up to 88%. 51 is a low for him over a multi-week stretch. Hyatt had gotten up to 83 about a month prior. 
but has been down sub 70% routes for three straight weeks. It's a little inconsistent. They're doing a little bit of rotational stuff. Those guys, I think, are very clearly the best options they have. But like I said to you, one kind of can't like, stay completely healthy, it doesn't seem like, which is one right. of the things that is knocking down his participation a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And they're so bad that they're not going to push unhealthy young players. I mean, this is the next it's person just, have to get fired, it seems like. It's really hard for me to envision, which is crazy, because this offseason we were talking about Brian Dable doing a really good job last year to get that team into the playoffs with Daniel Jones. And then, I mean, I think it all starts with the the franchise tag decision. And I, I think we talked about it on the show. We weren't doing a ton of shows back then in the early part of the offseason. But I know my take on this was very clear that you have to franchise tag Daniel Jones and make him prove for a second season that he's the right quarterback for you. And then you have to let Saquon Barkley walk if that's what it means. They franchise tag Barkley. They sign Jones to a little bit of a longer deal. Not a huge deal, but a multi-year deal where they're tied to him again next year. And then Barkley ends up holding out. They have to give him a little bit more than the franchise take because it's not ever that simple, right? And maybe Daniel Jones would have done that, whatever. But if Brian Dable could get to the playoffs with Daniel Jones in his first season as a head coach, what that teaches you is that he's a good coach and he needs the right personnel. But what's interesting is now a year later, like like you're saying, I mean, mid-season this year, we're talking about them being fired. And I, I don't disagree. They've, they've done a lot of things wrong this year. And there's been a lot of things with, you know, their offensive line has you know, been unhealthy, but it's been very, very poor. And they, they haven't been able to find the answers that they found last year, despite the talent deficiency on offense, to, to still be successful with a lot of the running and, and um, Daniel Jones using his mobility. None of that had occurred, and, and now obviously Daniel Jones is out. But anyway, um, I kind of said to you before when we were talking about this for a moment that I, I mean, I, I can't bring myself to be interested in Hyatt. I, it, you, it's an interesting take from the sense that I don't think anyone can bring themselves to be interested. It's very similar to what I was just saying about Ty Chandler. Nothing from the Giants seems like it's going to ever work out positively this year, and yet Daniel Jones is out. Tyrod Taylor's banged up. Maybe that's what they needed was like a you know for the passing game is like a like a Devito winds up being somebody who is a little bit of a gunslinger as a young guy. Maybe that's how it pans out. I mean. It, it's at least uncertainty, and then the, their profiles have been interesting. You mentioned Hyatt getting all these deep shots, over 150 air yards this week. Maybe the, the route shares do actually consolidate, and, and some of the vertical stuff for Hyatt and the underneath stuff for Wandell starts to be a little bit more consistent than it's been. It doesn't seem like it's completely out of the equation when you say it the way that you are, that these guys could actually make an impact in fantasy, but I do have a hard time seeing it, and for me, they're not like priority stashes because I just – I. It's really hard to envision on a team going nowhere how these guys are going to wind up being consistently good enough. I mean, I think in you know in best ball, they might have splashes, but consistently good enough that I would want to play them in a playoff setting down the line. I mean, that's just a really hard thing for me to envision. I don't know. We, we don't really have to go all the way back to the um, Zach Wilson thing, but a funny little note that, that came before – the show, Sean, we were talking and you were asking if I'd gotten over it yet. You mentioned him in the intro, but we went a different direction to start. But you mentioned if I'd kind of gotten over it yet because I wrote a you know cathartic introduction on Tuesday to Stealing Signals about Zach Wilson and what the team should do. 
sort of going forward at this point, scouring the practice squads and, and giving some interesting points. But obviously, we've been talking about this all season. I've been writing about and selling signals all season. They should have done something prior to the trade deadline, which was something that I specifically wrote early in the year. <clears throat> and I'm shocked they haven't. And I think that's a, a really poor coaching decision as well. Because as you said, this team has been so good. This defense has been so good. Has shut down Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, and Justin Herbert. And I did notice in looking at it that all four of those guys were in New York for those. Those were all home outings. But this Jets defense looks incredible. And they have Garrett Wilson, who looks incredible. And they have Brees Hall, who looks incredible. Yeah, their other skill position players are not great. Their offensive line is not great. But like you said, I mean, the, outside the quarterback, this is one of the best rosters in the NFL. And Garrett Wilson is that dude. Like, he had a near miss early in this game. I broke down a little bit on ceiling signals. That was just such a wild throw on the sideline. And he does the exact body control thing you need to do where he, it was the opposite of George Pickens, where he didn't jump too high. He extended his upper body to go get it because you don't want to be flying way up in the air and then pushed out of bounds. And then he reached his legs back to toe tap. And we talked about this on the Sunday night show. He did exactly that Chris Carter thing or Marvin Harrison thing where he reached back as far as he possibly could to get his toes as close to the field as he could and then went to the ground. He let his body go to the ground. It wasn't about landing upright. It was about reaching his toes back as far as he could. They were like two inches you know, from the edge of the field from that being just a ridiculous sideline catch. Phenomenal play by him. Doesn't get any points for it. It actually goes down incomplete. It goes... At the point that I made in selling signals, it goes to hurt his efficiency. So people are going to look at, you know, his efficient. Oh, he hasn't been catching a lot of passes. It's like, well, look at the stuff that he's trying to do to make that goes as incomplete. I mean, he couldn't have done his job better on that play. Uh, but the, the 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 humorous note that I want, we don't do, need to do a whole Zach Wilson thing. I wrote a lot about it this week already. I think most people are in agreement that he's terrible. Um, I made a comment in, in stealing signals as I was breaking this down. <clears throat> that Sean, you and I, we had a lot of close matchups. Three of our teams wound up losing by uh, less than 10 points with either Brees Hall or Garrett Wilson in the lineup. And one of those lost because of the strip sack that led to Austin Eckler's second touchdown. Um, and I mentioned I had four such teams in my write-up because I had a home league team I was tracking as well. As I actually went through and looked at all my other teams, I found three other such team shot. I wound up with seven teams, including five high stakes teams that lost by 10 or fewer points and had Brees Hall or Garrett Wilson in the lineup. Um, several of those were by five or fewer. You know, I was just hoping for like a little bit of garbage time production from Garrett Wilson or from Brees Hall. Uh, I had a, a second one that had the same scenario as we did where that second Austin Eckler TD after the strip sack of, of Zach Wilson. And one of his biggest issues right now, is a complete lack of pocket awareness. I know there's a lot of people that said, yeah, the offensive line's been bad as well. You have to be able to feel the pocket better than he does. There's so many of his passes where it looks like he's about to get stripped, and you're like, oh, my God, thank God he got that off. I mean, there's like 10 of them that went incomplete that where his arm was hit, and it was like, all right, at least that went incomplete. Could have been a fumble because he doesn't feel anything in the pocket. Anyway, that, that Austin Eckler TD cost me two of those seven teams. Literally was the direct balance of the end result of the game seven games i've never had anything like that in fantasy that were all because obviously I'm very exposed to Brees hall and garrett wilson have him on a lot of teams i'm not at all biased in my hatred of zach wilson is what i'm getting at but seven games that were 10 or fewer points and most of them like i said well within the, that 10 number usually don't play that many close games but it was a lower scoring week a lot of a lot of teams were close 
I don't even think most weeks, though, I have seven games that are decided by 10 points, period. I've not gotten over this, Sean. I'm not going to get over it for a while. (laughs) I think we can just conclude by saying that Ben Gretsch is a huge fan and believer in modern medical science (laughs) and strongly expects Aaron Rodgers to be back in two weeks' time leading the Jets to the Super Bowl and our fantasy teams to $1 million. We'll leave it there for you on this episode of Stealing Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch, whom you can follow at yours per Gretsch. Make sure you get signed up for Stealing Signals. Make sure you get signed up for Stealing Lines. If you're missing Stealing the Lines, you don't want to do that. We'd love to have you guys over at Rotoviz. The coupon code RVRADIO2023 at checkout for 10% off your one-year subscription. Ben, the guys have been doing a great job on those articles really excited about their work and again the tools allow you to do things like the zero rb universe article where every week i can't believe how much great data is involved in those leave us a rating review if those help us with the algorithm good luck tonight on thursday night football get your week off to a good start we love you we'll see you soon Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.